on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. Set your routine, get in love with the process and just execute every single day the exact same thing. Hit your target and get out. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right, everybody. I'm Chaz Wolf. Back to you this week. I've got Christian Coburn on the King stage. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm well, man. We were just talking off the air about all these different things that you're involved with. I felt for a half second, I didn't tell you this, but I'm telling you now. For a half second, I was looking in the mirror. I do this all the time. I'm like, I'm over here and then I'm over here and I'm working on this and I'm building this and I'm building that. And people kind of look at me like I'm crazy until I meet people like you and I'm going, oh, my people. So <laughs> Christian, what businesses are you in, my friend? What do you represent today? Yeah. So it's interesting because entrepreneurs tend to have shiny object syndrome, right? That's true. Not getting distracted is a tough thing <laughs> for me to do because yeah. there's always different opportunities. And the biggest thing for me and what a lot of my mentors well, one main mentor has ingrained in me is relationship capital. And Good. that's been a unique ability that I've been able to do is just be connected and find ways to add value to people in multiple ways. The big thing for me right now is I'm getting out of the ground up business, like starting from the ground up and all the rest of it and getting into like more recession proof and taking businesses over type deal. Yeah. Yeah. We obviously have some components that we're building from the ground up. We're getting into the government contracting space. We've been heavy in real estate for a long time, but now I'm looking more on, let me find something that's going to be a little bit more recession proof with everything that's going on right now. And sure, then sure. get heavy into acquisitions as I align myself with the money and all the rest of it. But between that trading, um, we have trading mentorship because my business partner's got He's cracked the code, if you will, on trading where we're able to trade without using any indicators and tell the exact story of the market, um, nice. pull out a couple grand a day using other people's money, which is a, a good way to get people started in trading where sure. you don't really have to worry about the risk of using your own capital because it's exactly. pretty intimidating to a lot of people. So yeah. that, yeah. e-com, a bunch of other opportunities. So, Bro, you just, you're, the list is like exhaustive. I heard e-com, <laughs> I heard trading mentorship, meaning you're coaching other people to do it. Yep. You're, you've been in and out of real estate, wholesaling. You've been in sales for a long time. Obviously, the M&A stuff that you're getting into, you're in the process right now of an acquisition. You're trying to take over a company, which there's just so many moving pieces to that. So I'm prefacing this. I'm reiterating for the listener to know that you're going to bring some really hot stuff to us here today. And I'm excited to be able to pull some of that out as well. Before we get into your story, though, I want to know at this level, obviously, you're still a young guy, but like you've been successful, not just in one little area. You've got lots right. of things going on. You got multiple poses filling mm -hmm. up the pool. But man, you got a good looking pool. The pool's pretty full. Like you're doing pretty good. Why yeah. do you continue to push? Why are you looking to take over this, uh, this next acquisition that you're about to take over? A portion of it is not necessarily entertainment, but it's always growth. That's one of my core values. I want to make sure that I'm always striving for something, growing in some capacity and building a legacy piece, a lasting piece, right? Yeah. The wholesaling business, you can't sell for a multiplier. 
right? That's a one X multiplier at best, even if you have the best operation. So we started weaning ourselves out of that and looked at it just as a cash flow, cash flow play and figuring out where we get the best ROI. For me in being able to buy and sell businesses, you can leverage that into multiplier, right? So we started looking at different businesses like that, that allow for us to do that and just stay in line with that instill the values in my son. He's one years old now. So basically I want to grow him and with those habits early on and be able to really build that long-term. Yeah, I do know. I, I have three kiddos of my own, eight, six, three, and my wife's about to give birth to our fourth. And so it's something that I think about every day. And I'm constantly in the motion of what you're just saying, even right now of teaching my kiddos about the value of what you're saying. Not only do I hear you, but I resonate deep. Yeah. The legacy place is huge. Okay. So You've obviously, you've done a lot in a short amount of time because, you know, you're a young guy, you've only got a one-year-old, like you've been doing this for not that long, but at the same time, you've had so much success in so many different areas. How did it all start for you? Or were you an entrepreneur from age 11? Give us the backstory a little bit. So I haven't been an entrepreneur since I was 11. When it came down to it, I was a baseball player. Okay. My parents... I never needed for anything. So you hear the rags to riches story a lot of times. People with blue collar working class family that yeah. didn't really have, that were broke, really didn't like they they understood the value of a dollar very early. I never yeah. needed for much, but I was never really well off. My I, sure. I lived in Windermere, so my parents were able to make ends meet, but I used to play around with it. Like we were the poorest upper middle-class family that there, there was, right? Like the <laughs> sure. most ghetto, I would say. Yeah. Um, we had <laughs> some fun stuff that we experienced, but overall, we never really needed. They always found yeah. a way to make it work. So I knew the work ethic, but it also instilled in me the desire to never have money be an issue in my marriage, right? right. That was something right. that has been a very big passion of mine. Sure. And if I could control anything, I can control that, control my effort. And then what I started to realize was the pursuit of money started to become an issue in my marriage. When it comes down to prioritizing my wife and making sure that, like you said, you actually said it on your story or on a video recently about basically putting your family on the calendar the way that they need to. That's something that I got to work on really intentionally right now. But overall, it was started off as an athlete. So I learned all those values of being a baseball player at a high level. I was injury prone. So that was a big reason why, even though I played around a lot of professional athletes, I never really got my shot there, but I was, I was a scholarship athlete. And when I took a year off in my junior college days, when I was like a sophomore in college, I got my real estate license and then Mm -hmm. I started selling timeshare. So with that, in that summer, that's where I really got the entrepreneurial bug, where I realized there's another world out there. Through my sales. Yeah, through sales, through marketing. Because my the first thing that I got, I think I had read a email, but like he was the first tip of affiliate marketing came across sure. my email. Yeah. Yep. And I, <laughs> I started really looking into it. And me and my grandfather, he actually just passed, but me and my grandfather actually just started diving in super, super heavy on affiliate marketing. And I started to understand that side. And I was going to use the timeshare money to fund a coach to get me into affiliate marketing. When then I realized the investment real estate world was out there and yeah. I could actually go start wholesaling. So I got into wholesaling and then started making a name for myself in wholesaling, following a mentor. And then we broke off and started our own company with another partner, took that to about 1.8 million in sales in about 20 months. And that was straight wholesale fees. And 
at that point, I was officially a business owner. I did it. I jumped in two feet first, risked it all because I really didn't have much. It was like, I'm never going to get another shot like this. So I dove in. I wasn't ready to be a business owner. Didn't really understand what it meant to be a business owner. And then after that experience, I always tell people, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent. You you put yourself on the fast track, obviously 1.8 million in 20 months. And it sounds like stemmed from, geez, timeshare, cold calling. I haven't sold timeshares, but if you've Mm -hmm. sold timeshares, We've sold the same thing because I've sold advertising cold calling and mm. it's the same thing, man. You just pound the phone and you got to be assertive and you got to be able to be very good at showing value. And the thing is, you're probably thinking of timeshare resales, but like mm. with timeshares, this is us being on site in a vacation destination, right? Yeah, yeah. The OPC, this is the framework that you have to be in to sell timeshare, right? Hardest sale on the planet. Anybody cannot tell me anything else (laughs) because when you come into the tour, you're coming for discount tickets, cash, a discounted stay, or some other gift. The OPC, the off property consult, basically the marketing guy lied to you to get you there. And if he didn't, he told you how to say no. So they coach you how to say no so that they can get their OPC commission. They don't want what you have, probably can't afford what you have, spent all their money on the one vacation they're going to get for the year. And then you got to convince them in 90 minutes to spend 10, 20, $30,000 on air because they can't use it till the next year. Talk about building value up. It's exactly. Yeah, you're right. Definitely not cold calling, but from an angle of Quickly building something from nothing is the play there for sure. So I see where that took you into wholesale. Because like you said, you weren't ready to be a business owner, but you were just selling. And because that's in essence what the skill of wholesaling is. It's negotiation. It's connecting with investors. Like, okay, anybody can do this that that can pick up a phone and create relationships. You were just doing it at an extremely high level, which then Mm -hmm. plunged you into business ownership, it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Because you were probably doing so much that you had to start offloading certain things, which then turns you into like, I'm hiring people, creating systems, which is the things that you were like, I probably wasn't ready for. So those are the things I want to kind of maybe tap into along that journey or even in your other businesses. I'm okay with this going outside of it, but tell me about a good decision that you made that was just like, okay, because of this, I remember this moment. Here's the story. Here's what I did. And it literally changed the trajectory of everything for me. The biggest thing in that was we went to an event and it was for an owner's day with uh, a sales, it was like a sales trainer's owner's day, if you will. And some of the big names in the the real estate space were there. My mentor, one of my mentors that he wasn't my mentor at the time was there and he took over the event. And in a conversation that I had with him, because I was like, I need to talk to this guy one way or another, broke it down to him, what my business was, what the structure was. He was like, You need to fire your entire team, hop back into the seat and figure your shit out because you're trying to play too big, right? The model that we had was just, it came from a different model. We were spending money on marketing. We built the thing differently, built it wrong, built it not to last. So as soon as I fired everybody, which was concurrent with what my partners at the time were saying, we we exploded. I got in there. I really started to understand the market. I really started to understand the investors, what the investors were buying, how we could start structuring the deals and really diving in. That's when it was like rocket fuel poured onto the business. At that point, I think it was 90 days. And then we had our first six figure month. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so in, in that moment, I just want to peel some of this back for the listener. 
because you were already doing the deal. It's not like you, it's not like you weren't doing business, but the hinge point or the pinch point of the business was you had removed yourself too far, or yes. did you not understand like the innards of what was going on? Or maybe that's the same thing. So it was a combination. It wasn't so much that I didn't know what was going on as okay. we removed ourselves too quickly trying to sit in that work on your business rather than in your business seat, rather like too quickly. And I right. felt like I was competing with my team. Then I was taking food off their table because we didn't have enough for them to all eat at the same time. Got it. So as a, as an individual salesperson going out and getting deals right. specifically, when it okay. came down okay. to that, cause we, we broke it down acquisitions and dispositions. So we had too many dispositions, um, people basically moving the inventory and we only had I think we were doing like two to four deals a month at that time. So it was like, there's not enough for these guys to eat. We're doing them a disservice. Fire them. You sit in that seat and then let's do this. And that's right. when we were able to really figure out, okay, what's the profitable structure for what it is we're trying to create. And we identified that it was two dispositions, people, two acquisitions, people, a transaction coordinator. And we had a short sale negotiator hybrid with cold calling VAs and, and management VAs in the background. Yeah, exactly. To translate this to the listener, what that means, because it's funny, so many other shows and entrepreneurs, in order to scale, you have to remove yourself. Like most entrepreneurs are in their way. What I'm hearing you say is that what got in the way is that you removed yourself too fast, aka yeah. just the pulse of what was actually happening on the ground level. It just, it got away from you a little bit. And so by removing those folks, you were able to get in, kind of really figure out what you needed in order to then go back. So that way, when you had that plan, you take your natural skill set of removing yourself, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since that seems yeah. to come a little bit more natural to you, and then put the right people in place once you knew. Because it sounds like maybe the mistake was not necessarily removing yourself too fast, but if you put people in place without a super clear goal or target, they knew what they were doing, but not really. It sounds like maybe. Yeah, right? I mean, it was a combination between it was a combination between that, like we knew what the action items needed to be, but sure. it was a combination between that. And truly just not having enough to feed them. When yeah. it came down to it, we were crushing it under the umbrella of the other wholesale company. When we branched off, we started marketing. We started building from the ground up. And with just three owners, we were doing between two to four deals a month. Then we yeah. hired the acquisitions person. The, yeah, the acquisitions person then brought on all the dispo people and then realized that model was just not the model that we were building. But my question to you, which I think is going to be super applicable, is how did you realize like, why did you go and talk to that guy at that event? If you thought like you had the right people in place and they were doing deals and it's not like you were not having success, it just wasn't at the level that it popped up to afterwards. So how did you even know to ask about the new model or something, a, a different way of doing it? What was the feeling that you had on the inside of this isn't enough? Or did you have too much time on your hands? What was the indicator for you? It was, it was a combination of the people right? The people will usually tell you where it is with demeanor, attitude, morale, having to ask and continue to follow up with different pieces of what they need to get done. And then it was, it was overall revenue. Like we were able to generate some deals, but it was just too early. We were, I think nine, 10 months old when we really built all of that up. And then we realized let's reel it back and then scale the right way. And then right. that's where we ended up taking it to that six figure a month mark. Yeah. It's, I just, I'm blown away at the story because your skill set is actually is what the listener needs to hear, most of them, because most of them aren't trying to scale. They're not trying to hire. They're not trying to get out of their own way. And <laughs> if you have the story of you just, you set it all up perfectly, 
but it was just too fast, too soon, which is just incredible to me. And so all you had to do in that moment was to, like you said, back it up, put the right motion and happening from your guys' perspective mm-hmm. and rescale. And okay, let's flip the coin. Let's talk about a bad decision. Maybe it's associated to this specific scenario. Maybe it's something completely unrelated, but what's the one thing that the listener can just write down, take away that they never have to go experience for themselves because you already created the mistake and learned from it for us? So I would say two things. First thing, don't hire based on proximity, hire based on core values. Love that. We, we built the business off of the back of a proximity hire and it crippled us in the long run when we realized we didn't hire right. Sure. And then leveraging the wrong way, leveraging yeah. on the wrong things that don't d- generate a direct ROI. The six inches between your ears will always yield an infinite ROI. It'll get you in the right rooms and all the rest of it. But enter the room that you're going to be able to take action in and take action on the, the materials and the relationships and actually be able to do something with it rather yeah. than just leveraging yourself into the room that, okay, now I'm here. Now I've got the connections. I wowed them. I opened some doors, but what do I do with it after this? Because right. I don't really have the ability to like take direct action. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think what you just said there, first off hiring, <clears throat> not getting stuck into a hire due to proximity or relationship or any other reason you want to talk mm-hmm. about just getting stuck into a hire before we hit your second point there. How did you realize that it was the wrong person? What was the indicator there? What was going through your brain of, ah, we made a wrong, we made a wrong hire here. It was, she kept asking for more, right? And it was like, we hired an entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And the entrepreneur in her started getting greedy where she was basically making the same amount of money that we were because she was our acquisitions person. And she was absolutely crushing it. She had a six figure year. And when it came down to the salaries that we were paying ourselves, like she made almost as much as we did, but she said it wasn't enough. Like she was doing too much work. She was doing this, she was doing that. And she had a bad boyfriend after a messy divorce get in her ear. And that guy was a, a criminal too. He was on the news twice for bad contractor work. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so it was that where we thought we could trust her and realize that, okay, she's money hungry. And she started siphoning stuff from underneath us. And it was just a lot of little red flags that we chose to yep. ignore. Yep. And we kicked that can down the road because we needed her. And we knew that she was good at what she did and right. we ignored it way too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting perspective when you have somebody who wants more, because I understand what you're saying. There's nothing more rewarding that I have found than to be able to reward my people or to give them opportunity like that, that they've never experienced before. I really find joy in that really, but the majority of people, the, who you're describing is they need to go run their own thing. Exactly. And also what I have found too, is that they need to go get the experience of running their own thing so that they understand the value of what they've stepped into and how easy they're easy, obviously for relative purposes, but you made her job easy because you gave her the leads. You did this, you did the marketing, you spent money here. Like you created the system for her to be able to step into. And a lot of entrepreneurs um, don't realize or because they haven't done it themselves. They're entrepreneurs wanting to be entrepreneurs. They just don't realize it. I think that's, it's an interesting perspective because I think a lot of folks deal with that. They deal with the guy. They're, we're worried about him going and doing his own thing. I encourage it. Like, Hey, if you think you can do it, go. But at the same time too, the right people who will want to be part of your team and follow along. Second point that you made that I want to dissect, man, you're giving us so much good stuff here. I gotta be, I gotta be on it. The second point that you made was what again, the mistake. The don't leverage in the wrong way. 
Yes. Okay. So leveraging the wrong information. Tell us. No capital, like capital getting into debt or like you can go for broke, but go for broke on the right things. Make sure you that. understand the value of the compound effect and how yes. time compounding money is always on your, like, if I would have done this at 25, when my wealth manager mom <laughs> was telling me, then I'd be in a very different financial position. Like overall, it just time just helps as you're looking at that. And if yep. you understand how not to earn the same dollar twice right. early and you leverage the right way, instead of spending your money on education, you can't take advantage of, right? Yes. Yes. Don't Got get, it. Don't you, get information you, hungry. Yes. Okay. So this is amazing coming from an educator, coming from somebody who sells programs and courses and education. And so I want the listener to, to pay attention to this because it's something that I've thought about, but I've never heard someone, especially in this space, say out loud, which is there are certain things that you know, or that you need to know now, other things that you don't, you don't, you need to go take action. And that was his point really is go learn the things now that you can go take action on. Now, I guess if I had to liken it even to like a current circumstance, I have a guy, a close friend of mine, even who is a six figure business owner. He was asking me about the seven figure mastermind and how he wanted to be around the seven figure guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but they're talking, they're having a conversation amongst themselves. That means nothing to you. It doesn't mean that it won't be valuable to you at some point, but the struggles that they're dealing with are not helpful to you right now in this format where you and I are talking about struggles along the way, that's helpful, but I tried to tell him he needs to be around other guys that are dealing with the same things that he is and that they're currently figuring out how to get through those and navigate mm-hmm. them. And uh, his value was, I want to get around people who are further along as I agree, but yeah. how can you go take action? And so I love that point. How did you learn that? Especially being in the education space where it's more valuable for you to sell something, whether they can use it now or not, that's a sale for you. So how did you come to this conclusion? There were a couple of things that happened early on in my life, as well as just the dynamic of watching it happen to a lot of people. When it comes yeah. down to it, you feel like there's something that you're missing when really it's the action. And what you just touched on, one of my mentors had actually told me in a very small setting, just me and my partner, him and another guy, where he was talking about being in a 10-year room, a five-year room, a 20-year room, the conversations are different, right? A guy that's in five years in business you're still figuring it out. So a lot of bumps in the road. There's still, you're still figuring out the marketing. You're getting your teeth kicked in most of yeah, the time. But there's, a lot of egos, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of just hiding and boasting and peacocking. When you get into that 10 year room, you're talking to guys that have been in the business for six to 10 years. You start to realize that, okay, there's a lot more collaboration. You realize how hard this shit is. You realize <laughs> that we can do more together than we can apart. There's yes. a lot more value given in those rooms. You're not asking the one to five year questions. You're asking 10 year questions. You're asking the scaling. You're asking the removing yourself. You're asking those next level questions. Then you get into those 20 year rooms where you don't want to be asking a five year question in a 20 year room because they're already past that. It's you're not asking and having the right level of conversation. But when you're at that 20 year level, it stretches you as long as you're at the level to be able to retain that information and take action on it, right? So like spending money to get into a 10, 20 year room that's not going to do you any good because you can't take advantage of the 10 to 20 year information. It's, it's going to go over, either over your head or over your wallet. <laughs> yeah. Like really at the grand scheme of things, there's going to be deals you can't take advantage of and with resources that you're not bringing the level of value that you want. Yep. Um, but what I've also noticed is where there's a will, there's a way. 
and spending the money might get you into the room. And if you're the right action taker, you might get the, just yeah. the one thing that allows for you to change your life, but yep. you have to be in that right room in a lane that allows you to live and operate in your unique ability. Yeah. I hope as a listener that you hit pause right now and you rewind what just happened and you listen to what Christian's telling you, because first off, I think the realization that you need knowledge and you need to pay for it and mentorship and coaching, that's its own realization that you have to get to that place where it's okay to pay someone else to help you go faster. That is once you have that though, you don't want to go so hungry on it that where you're trying to, like you said, lose your wallet on things that aren't applicable. So I just think it's just, it shares, it tells me where your integrity and your character is, especially as an educator, especially as somebody who sells a program, even similar to me, where it's just, I would be willing to tell someone no, because that's the right thing to do for them. And whether they realize it or not, no, I'm not going to, I could think of three guys right now. I could sell a 20 K deal too, and they would do it right now, but I've told them no because mm -hmm. I don't think it's what's right for them. And they disagree. And so they're not a client of mine, which is fine. But I love the perspective that you've given here. I really hope that as a listener right now, you have, you have stopped and you've gone back and listened to what Christian has said. He's given you way more than I bargained for in this podcast so far. Let's keep it moving here. What decision-making process do you have, Christian, when it comes to now? You've got multiple industries. You're about to take over and do a huge acquisition. You're building from scratch, but you're taking like all these different angles of decision-making. Right. Jeez. Right. If I had to put you in like categories, it'd be like hundreds probably of types right. of decisions. How do you make good decisions now? What I've always tried to do is surround myself with the right people, right? The right circle of influence. I like to be on a team. Partnership is a big thing for me, but it's the right values, the right vision, the right, the right iron sharpens iron, right? Yeah. So being able to make sure that it allows me to operate in my unique ability, being able to make sure that I actually be able to bring some value to the market, that I'm helping somebody move the needle forward. And Overall, when it comes down to the lane, like what's the overall goal? Now right. I'm heavy on cash flow. I'm not looking so much as the transactional BS that comes with wholesaling and just right. one thing falling out and this, that, and the third, right? Like I want the consistent cash flow around the MA model, right? Where I can put an operator in place and kind of do what I've done on the startup side. The idea of passive cash flow on e-com, being able to make sure that people are in a sustainable business, not the drop shipping on Amazon and Walmart where it can get shut down at any minute. Right. We, we went the Facebook marketplace and Shopify route where nobody can ever shut your shit down. When it comes down to it, it's just what value can I really bring to the market? Is it going to help change some lives? And does it allow me to live in my unique ability? And with that, I'm usually trusting my gut to make a good decision. Yeah. Do you, did you find that you've always been in this place where you have that ability to trust your gut or was that learned over the course of time? I feel like a lot of it was learned, especially with the counting my chickens before they hatch a little bit. I tend to get excited about things and then I get a lot of other people excited sure. without jumping the gun, doing a little bit more due diligence, asking the tough questions and yeah. more so than anything, making sure that, that again, it does align with what it is that I'm about. Like that was learned because usually I was jumped two feet in, all in, let's go. Like we're going to figure it out as we get there. As long as it was something that excited me. I'm an analytical person. So when I get in my analysis mode, that usually means something's not right. I'm not a hundred percent in, I'm still questioning it. Like, sure. but if it really excites me, then I'm expressive as hell. I'm all in. I'm super excited. And then those are where I get myself in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> That's me getting overzealous because I'm not asking the hard questions. So for me, it's right. been learning how to be a little bit more even keel, 
understand that it will come and it will come eventually. Don't be in such a rush. Understand that time is your friend. You're young. You still got plenty of time to fuck up. But with that, make sure that you do it in a fail forward type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we could end the podcast right here. And I think that <laughs> we could just, I could play it on repeat. It's been incredible, but I want to do the speed round. I'm curious to know some of your answers for these questions. I am thankful for guys like you who take it seriously like you have. I hope that the listener has picked up these things, even myself at my level, where I would say that the acquisitions that I've done, the purchase or the selling of businesses, the starting of scratch stuff, like we have a very similar story in that there's value in all of the things that you've learned. And I've learned those same things, but listening to you today, let's go. I'm fired up. So I, uh, I also love too how your expressive as hell and my expressive probably are going to be like, at least my wife says I'm boring. I try to get really <laughs> expressive on here and up and down in tone and yeah, put on a good show yeah. for you guys. But man, like uh, we got to really work at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that analytical piece it. of us. So yeah, exactly. Anyway. Okay. Speed round. Here we go. You ready? <clears throat> yep. What's the one metric that you would choose to track in all of your businesses if you could only pick one? If I could only pick one, and this was a, obviously a tough question. If I could only pick one, for me, I feel like it would be lead conversion. Okay. Uh, because if I'm looking at lead conversion, it's directly tied into like ROI on ad spend because marketing is the life, lifeblood of your business. But that number will also tell you how good your sales team is, where your revenue projection is going to be at what your marketing budget needs to be for the next quarter. Like, how are you on track for your goals? So those are some of the things that I would probably glean from that number. That's usually the first question that I ask whenever I'm going to go into a new venture or new marketing or anything like that. What's the leads to contract or what's the conversion? What's the marketing look like? Like how many leads do we need to talk to to actually make a sale? And then what's the ROI on that multiplier? So right. Yep. That's probably the thing that I would pay attention to. I love how you broke down, because as you can imagine, I've gotten answers all over the board, but I love how you broke down what it is actually that I'm trying to communicate to the listener, which is whatever the metric, we love to hear your guys' answers, but the one metric that you choose usually is the one that is, as long as you have that one, the rest of it like in your brain kind of trickles mm -hmm. down and I go, okay, so if I know this, then I'm going to know this, which then gives me the ability to run my business. Exactly. Uh, and so, of course, it's helpful to know all the other things too. But generally speaking, you should have that one metric where you're like, if I know that, the rest falls into place in my brain. Yeah. Okay. What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner read trying to scale to where you are? There are a lot of good books out there. And everybody always talks about the cliche, think and grow rich and all the rest of it. But that's obviously on the list. I would probably say between the 12-week year and compound effect, when it comes to a six-figure business owner that has his marketing dialed in, that really understands what his metrics are and all the rest of it, the constraint of the 12-week year and living a 12-week year and the urgency you feel every week over week, that really will, will kick a lot of things into gear. As long as you have all those other pieces together, it'll allow for you to really align your goals for the year the right way. Love it. Love it. Great explanation as well. Uh, next question. Do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? I do. When it comes down to that, I've done a lot less of that because I had my head down and <laughs> obviously trying to build some stuff. You just had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that too. Obviously, we're coming off of COVID. I want to get back into going to events and masterminding and being around the round table and just getting sure. in the right rooms. But I'm always having some type of conversation with some type of business owner, value add conversation, whether it be from Facebook, like yeah. Instagram, whatever type of exchange I can do. That's awesome. Man. Events, different things like that. 
Yeah, I love the variety of example that you gave there because it doesn't always have to be a room that you're trying to get into. It could be a room that you're leading locally, a sponsoring of an event, even just the thing that you told me or that you saw that I posted about the speaking to high schoolers on financial mm -hmm. literacy and stuff. Like it could even be stuff like that. Just putting yourself out there, I think it is, is amazing. Okay. Question that wasn't on the list. It's a surprise question. Okay. If you only had one hour each week to run your business, just one hour, what would you do in that hour to run your business successfully like you do now? Interesting. Okay. So if I only had one hour, what would I do? The first probably five minutes of it is I'm going to probably look at the numbers and see where we're at and connect with the team on what actionables they need to do. Make sure that we're aligned and where it is that we're trying to go and all right, go get it done. And then for me, it would be having money conversations, going and figuring out where my raise is at and just depending on the business. But like with the M&A, it would be, all right, go talk to the high level individuals that you've been talking to, get the money like dialed in and let's go close this deal pretty much. It would yeah. be conversations. I'd get on the phones. <laughs> yep, exactly. Okay, great answer. Love it. And last question, Christian, if you lost it all, what would you do? If I lost it all, I've actually said this a lot. If I had to start over, I would learn how to be a trader. I love the idea of the instant feedback and the discipline that you need to have while yeah. being a trader, but it would be between that and finding a good business that is operating well, basically doing what I do and finding deals, find a deal that is operating well, and then raise the money to be able to take it over so that I can replace the income and add value, but I'm looking for the nearest branch that I can add some value to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Value first. And also too, I think the, what you just said is that you would press into the skill sets that you've learned and apply those in some certain ways that add value. So I love that. Christian, how can someone connect with you? You've brought so much value here today. I can only imagine why someone would want to reach out to you in all the different reasons. Obviously there's real estate questions that they might have. There's trading questions they might have. Then maybe they want to get in with you. They want to get in your capital raise for this, this next uh, M&A purchase. Like lots of reasons. Maybe they just want to say hello and be your friend. Yeah, How do they find yeah. you? So I'm obviously on Facebook and Instagram. That's mainly where I'm at. My Instagram handle is at Crisco underscore investments. That's C-H-R-I-S-C-O under C-O underscore investments. And then I'm on Facebook, Christian Coburn pretty easy to find me. And uh, when it comes to the trading mentorship, when it comes to any of that, obviously I'm super open. The trading and the e-com and all that is under the moniker Prosper Up. So if you look up Prosper Up Automation, Prosper Up e Academy for our trading group, we're more than happy to, to plug in and get you going. But truly telling the story of the market, you'd be surprised how predictable this thing is, man. It's comical watching my partner just pull out 20K days like it's nothing. <laughs> wow. Even, even in the market right now when people are hysterical and uncertain. Yes, especially in this market because the extra volatility, you you can tell where they're going. You can see within the, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of jargon here, but the liquidity pockets, there's a lot of money sitting at certain key levels that the market is all algorithms and they trade like machines and bots do. That's just what it is. So it can't be anything but methodical. So based on that, you can see where all the patterns are. You can see where they're taking the market to, and you can predict where it's going to go with a high level of certainty and basically play the game with the market right back. You just got to make sure that you know how to walk away and you know how to stay even keel. <laughs> I was going to say what you just said, the even keel and walk away. That's the discipline that you were just talking yep. about. But isn't that true for life? Isn't that true for mm -hmm. success? Isn't that true for being a good dad? Isn't that true for being a good business owner? 100%. That's why I would start with trading. If I had to build it all over again, 
I would 100% learn how to trade because the discipline, risk management, the monotony behind it, the learning how to just love set your routine. Yeah, yeah, set your routine, get in love with the process and just execute every single day the exact same thing. Hit your target and get out. Get in, get out. I'm usually in the market 5, 10, 15 minutes and we're pulling out a few grand a day, sometimes 20 grand a day. It just depends. Just yeah. depends on the moves. Yep. That's yeah. incredible. Incredible. I think that uh, obviously it tells a story, not just the market story that you're referring to, but it just tells a story about success and all the principles that you just very quickly went through. I think that in itself, we could probably just capture and put into a success meme or something for you. But yeah, I hope that uh, the listener paid close attention today. I think that they got a lot for their time. And I just want to thank you for being who you are, for pressing in, for uh, in the midst of it, building your family and saying that they're important to you. We need more people like you doing M&A, doing trading, all the fun stuff. So it's been just an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And I'm certain that our relationship will continue. So thank you for being here and bringing value. Thank you for having me on, man. Super excited to continue. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.